No, I'm joined uh, by Paula Nocton. Uh, Paula, first of all, it's lovely to see you again. We haven't seen each other for a while, even though I've seen your photograph and I've seen you in videos and everything like that. But it's lovely to see you again. How are you keeping? I'm, I'm fine, thank you, Seamus. It's lovely to see you. I haven't seen you for a long time. Yeah. And um, thank you for giving us the opportunity to meet you. Well, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's a great uh, honour for me that you spare your time because I know how busy you are. Um, we'll talk about the main uh, issue in a few minutes' time, but tell me about uh, Paula Nocton. Where did you come from, Paula? Oh, me? Wow. Yes. Um, I came from... We're actually talking about <laughs> you. <laughs> I came from a place in Wales called Cumbran. Right. And I... Yes, I'm Welsh. I consider myself Welsh, um, although I don't sound Welsh. No. And I'm ashamed to say the only Welsh I know is Diolch an which means thank you very much. Right. So my mum is English and my father was Scottish, but right. um, my brother and I were born in Wales. Right, okay. So we consider ourselves Welsh. So uh, obviously you went to school and uh, you went on to, to second level and uh, on to university after that, I presume? That's right, yeah, that's what I did. And then I went to train to be a nurse, a general nurse. At uh, where did that train? In take London. Place? In London. Um, and it was obviously a very different um, landscape then. Um, in the late 80s, I went to the Middlesex and University College Hospital, which is in the middle of London. Mm. And I have to say that it was the most fantastic experience because you were very much looked after, but also you were given the opportunity to be on the front line four days a week, and you spent one day in college. So that's where I learned my craft. Mm. Um, so uh, it's it was third level. It was you were learning your craft, as you say, and uh, having a good time as well as learning. Oh, of course. I mean, in those days, it was. You know, thing it, it was it was it was different, and I suppose there are things that never change. Insofar as your social circle were like-minded people, so the people you socialised with were doctors, other nurses, you know, physiotherapists, mm. dentists, people like that, and of course the um, the paramedics. They were called ambulance drivers then, but they were paramedics. And firefighters. So they they were your kind of go-to people, mm. and of course. People like that, they work hard, but they play hard too. Right, okay. So, do you know, it was, um, and, and being in a city like London, there were so many opportunities. Mm. Um, so, where, when does uh, your husband come into the, uh, into the reckoning or come into the scene? Oh, wow, well, not until a bit later. A so, bit later, yeah. So, Porrick, he also trained as a general nurse, um, kind of just outside of London. Right. And he went on to be an, an A&E nurse. And... Then both of us, um, for different reasons, felt that we wanted to go on and train in mental health. Right. So at the time, there was a course you could So wh wh when did you meet him? In 1994. We, right. we actually met. Um, there was a course. There were 10 places, and both of us were lucky enough to secure a place. So that's how we met. We met doing our postgraduate nurse training in mental health. Ex excellent. So obviously you hit it off. So. Oh, we didn't like each other to start what, with. did you oh, know? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I remember there were there were five women and five men, and ironically, 
there were three Irish people and two Welsh people and five English people. And Porrick walked in, and he'll kill me for saying this, but he was very handsome when he was young. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, no, I haven't got to stomach him for 13, 14 months. Because you could see the other girls looking at him, and and he said his name, and, of course, I didn't understand. I'd I'd heard of Patrick, but not Porrick. And the other girls were giggling, and I just said... I'm sorry, you'll have to say your name again. And he said it. And I said, I still don't understand. He said, it's Gaelic for Patrick. And I mm. just went thinking, oh, no, this is going to be fun with him stuck yeah. in here. Yeah. So, so obviously, uh, you started uh, to see each other eventually. We did, yeah. Right, OK. And uh, as the rest, as they say, is history. But uh, tell me, then uh, you, you started going out for each other. And you decided, obviously, uh, to come to Ireland. Was that before you got married or after you got married? No, it was after we got married. Un- unfortunately, you got married in in, in the England. UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we actually we were going to get married in the Abbey Hotel, but things changed, and we ended up getting married in 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 London. But right. um, unfortunately, um, Porrick's mum um, suffered a catastrophic brain injury really in 1999 and she was unconscious for six months and so we felt very much that we wanted to help so although she did recover um, things were never really the same for her so in 2005 we decided that we would like to come and help for six months so where exactly was Parik from Parik is from a place called Ballydangan all right okay between between that one and Ballinasloe yeah yeah so yeah. So we said we'd come for six months, but we're still here. Hmm. Mm. Right. Things, life gets in the way. Yeah, life gets complicated. So, uh, you obviously, you came back to Ireland and you obviously got working here. Yes. Uh, when, did the, when did you start your family? Oh, so um, Archie was born, he was a, a little bit premature. He was actually born at the end of 2005. At the end so of 2005. Archie, yeah, Archie was our gift coming back to Ireland. Right, okay. So, yeah. So, so that's around that time. Yeah. And then the twins followed on a couple of years later. Yeah, they, in 2010. So uh, where exactly were you living? When we first came, we were living with Porrick's parents because we had right. no intention okay. of staying. Right. And then we moved to Cousin in Athlone. Oh, yeah, by the river, yeah. By the river. It was, it was very nice, but I, I felt really lonely there because um, it was a, it's a very established area and, you know, all detached houses and... Mm. And, of course, people were working the day and I was on maternity leave and I used to go into Athlone and, and I'd go to my in-laws, of course. But I I always really loved Roscommon Town. We'd always come here when we were on holiday, mm. always. And we'd have a ritual. We'd go to Gleason's or the Abbey for coffee or lunch, either way. And we always did that. And I remember one day I was really upset and I said to Porrick, Either we move to Roscommon Town or we go back to London. Right. Okay. <laughs> what a choice. Roscommon Town or London. So that's, we started looking at houses here. So that's right. how we ended up here. We, there was always a, I don't even, to this day, I don't know what it is. I think it has a real sense of community. Yeah. And it has so much. It has, for a small town, it has mm. always had so much going for it, mm. particularly the people. So everything was going along grand. You were both working and uh, the kids uh, were young. When was the first time you suspected that there might be something awry with the with the children it was isaac um the twins were the the, they didn't start walking the twins didn't start walking until they were 15 months but we weren't alarmed by that because Mm. they were six weeks early right 
and you know they'd had a couple of battles so and nobody seemed worried about that and once they started walking they they were fine they used mm. to bump into each other a lot but we just put that down to yeah the fact they were twins yeah, and yeah they were only babies anyway and of course archie had a limp already because when he was two he almost died of meningitis septicemia right. and so Archie had a limp, so, you know, he was being seen by everyone, OTs, physios, everyone, so, and, G and paediatricians. And the decision was that, I suppose we were just so relieved he was alive. We didn't, yeah. we, you know, it yeah. wasn't an issue and nobody else seemed to think it was an issue. So Isaac couldn't get off of the floor. He mm -hmm. was having problems. And we went to see a physiotherapist. So he's about 15 months at this stage. Well, th that's, when, that's, yeah. that's when they started walking. Mm -hmm. So he was... By the time he was seen, it was November 2012, so mm. he was two, nearly two and a half. Right, okay. And um, she took one look at him and said, I think that he needs to see a paediatrician. Right. And Archie was already booked to see the paediatrician because they were talking about putting Botox into his ankles. Right. And it's very lucky they didn't put Botox into his ankles because it would have been catastrophic. So we went to see Porrick Curran in Roscommon, who's the paediatrician from Vanisloe. And I knew when he came out to the waiting room that we had a problem. Mm. Because this is a man who'd sat with me in the night time when Archie was unconscious and, and used to visit me for weeks when we were there. When he had men and judges, yeah. Yeah, mm. so I knew, I know Porrick. I know him and um, I know what a brilliant doctor he is. And he was always very, very fond of Archie. So I knew we had a problem before we went into the room. And at the end of the consultation, he, he examined um, Isaac and Archie. And I remember saying to him, I think you need to look at George, don't you? And mm. he said, I think I do. Right. And um, he said that we need to have, they need to have blood tests. I think it was a Tuesday. And on a Thursday, we went for blood tests. And I remember saying to Porrick on Thursday night, because Porrick Curran had said he'd ring us mm. on Friday morning. And I remember saying to my husband in the kitchen, I think the boys have got this thing called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And you suspected, did you? Well, I made the mistake of Googling, <sighs> which is all of all of us who are healthcare professionals will tell you not to Google. Yeah. But all of us who are but healthcare you couldn't, professionals. You couldn't do a mother. But also, like, yeah. uh, you as a nurse, you just do, yeah. you, you do everything you tell other people not mm. to do. I mean, mm. that's a given. Right. Doctors, <laughs> we're all the same. Right. And I remember reading the symptoms, and it was a checklist. It was a checklist of the children. And I remember saying to Porrick, and I remember him holding onto the sink, and he said to me, that cannot be true. God wouldn't allow that to happen to our children. Mm. And... So the next morning, Porrick Curran rang me, and again, I just knew by his voice. And I never forget the drive to the hospital because we had George and Isaac, and Archie was at school. And we got to near Clonellan, actually, and we were driving down the road. And I remember saying to Porrick, should we just keep driving into Galway Bay? Because mm. I know what we're going to be told. Right. And then I looked around and said, we can't even do that because Archie's at school. Mm. We can't even do that. And Porrick said, it might be okay. And, of course, then he told us that they have Duchenne muscular dystrophy, that there is no treatment or cure, 
And at that time, the average life expectancy in Ireland was 19 to 22. Right. How, how did you react to that? It's, it's your, both of your health professionals. Did you realise the implications? I completely did because I'd, I'd read about it and I, I knew, I actually knew, I didn't need Porrick Curran to tell me because he said to me, the boys have muscular dystrophy. And I said to him, is it Duchenne? Because Duchenne is the, it's just what you, you don't want to hear. And he said, yes. So I remember having like this outer body experience where I was looking down over the room. I, I feel like my... It was if my spirit left my body, it sounds nuts, but I was looking down at everybody. The twins were both in their pram asleep. And I can even see the little blankets they were holding. And Porrick was grey. He was ashen. And I remember Porrick Curran said to us, I'm really sorry this has happened to you. And I said, but it hasn't happened to us, has it? It's happened to them. It's happening to them. And he said, but it's happening to you too. Um, but my only concern, of course, as a parent was for them. And what do we do? And I remember having read about it was a lack of protein in the muscle. And I remember saying to him, can we give them a high protein diet? You know, completely rationally, because, of mm. course, it's, you know, but you, you're so desperate. To show Your mind is racing. It's so desperate. Try and think of everything that you can do to try and help them. And I also remember my sister-in-law, Myra, she's a nurse as well. And both of us, our background is, um, well, she still works in oncology, but I worked in oncology and with pediatri pediatric oncology mm. and gynae oncology. And her and I would often say, after we had our children, we'd be, you know, chatting together and, you know, things had happened at work and, you know, and I'd be saying, imagine, like, imagine if one of, one of, these six, we yeah. had nine, we've got nine boys of this right. generation. Porrick and his siblings both right. have three boys each. And then we, what, Myra had one girl, Caitlin. But at the time we had the nine boys. And I remember we used to say, imagine if one of them had cancer. Right. What would we do? Uh, imagine if, you know, and nothing, nothing can prepare you, I think, for being told that your child is sick. But then being told there is no treatment or cure is... It's, it's catastrophic. It's like standing on a landmine. Mm. Like it has, the majority of the people who are listening to this interview will know now that for the last 15 years it has consumed your life. You have to keep going. You have to keep working. Um, you, you have been such a campaigner on behalf of, of, of your son's Yes, you're watching them and they're not getting better. Would I be correct in saying that? Oh, they're getting worse every day. Yeah. Yeah. And now in, you know, it's October almost 2021. Your three sons are in wheelchairs. Is that right? They are, yes. Yeah, I saw the, I saw the photographs. You have tried so hard and with, your, with the trust and everything to provide for them. And the biggest thing was research. Has anything happened positive? I think I over think, the fifteen years. I suppose the first thing to say is that Duchenne is a really complicated disease, right? And unfortunately, um, Archie George and Isaac would be. It's a, it's considered a rare disease. One in three and a half thousand newborn boys will be born with Duchenne. There are right. 
people now, unfortunately, that have children like us that think they're healthy, mm. um, you know, and that's not to scare anyone, but no, no. That's, that's how insidious it is. So the boys are rare, rare within that. The, yeah. the, the problem is with a, something called the dystrophin gene. That's where the disease gets its name from. And the boys have something called duplication right. of exons, which is really complicated to try and treat. The whole thing is complicated. So for a small minority of, of boys and the very, very few girls that have deletions of these things in places, there are two treatments available, one in America and one, one in the USA by the FDA and for a different group in Europe. But they're tiny amounts, one's 13% and one's 10%. So for the majority of children diagnosed with Duchenne, there is still, there's, when I say there's no treatment, there'll be medics jumping up and down saying, oh, steroids are a treatment. Mm. I would argue as a, as a clinical person, saying that steroids are a treatment for Duchenne is like saying an elastoplast is a treatment for a hemorrhage. Right, okay. And also it causes other problems. Steroids cause massive other side effects and problems. Right. So for our sons and the majority of children, there is no treatment for the underlying cause and there certainly isn't a cure. To answer your question about research, yes, there are now clinical trials happening in gene therapy, which I won't go into, but it's really, really complicated. Right. And the older the children get, the, the less likely they are to benefit from it because they could be immune to the, the, the virus that is packed in right. the treatment. And for children like ours, they no longer meet the criteria for clinical trials right. Right. because obviously the pharmaceutical companies want to get the best results. So a lot of the trials are age limited, but four to seven, and also regarding how mobile you are. Right. Okay. So for Archie, George and Isaac at the moment, they have missed every clinical trial. I have been campaigning with the pharmaceutical companies for compassionate use some of these drugs and i'm i'm failing yeah i'm failing everybody is aware of 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 the campaign and the brilliant community that we're living in and uh, the massive support that you have got but still at the end of the day you have to close the front door of your house Uh, your husband and yourself have to 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 deal with this this enormous um weight that has been placed on your shoulders and i know it's been placed on their shoulders as well Looking back over it, and I mean, you're still in the middle of it. How have you coped with it, yourself and Parik? How how do you think, I mean, to me, from the outside, you're the same Paul I met 10 years ago. But how have you coped with it yourself? Uh, Were there times when you said, my God? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we do cope with it. Right. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that... How can you ever be the same person again when every hope and dream you have for your children and your life is erased in one conversation? Mm. I, I think you can never you can never be the same. You're, I talk about um, BD and AD. I talk about having two lives. One is before Duchenne and one is AD after Duchenne. And I think... That might sound slightly dramatic to people, but that's how it feels now because I was always, I'm, I, I, and I like to think I still am, I'm very much half a glass is full, half full mm. rather than half empty. Sure. But how I would describe it is 
after being told that your children have a terminal disease and there's not very much you can do about it, I mean, the consultant in Temple Street said to us, go home and love your children, which I think is an extraordinary statement for a medical mm. person. And perhaps what he was trying to indicate was, you know, that's all you can do. Yeah. And I suppose that's what made me so angry that I felt I had to do more. Um, so maybe he did us a favor. I don't know. I don't know. But I think for me, the world was always really shiny and bright. And now when I look through the world, it's a bit like looking through a, a gray net curtain. It's just not quite as bright. Mm. Um, that's so understandable. You know, yeah. um, and uh, how are the boys? How are they themselves? Well, I I think. Look, do I, they realize? Do they fully realize what, what what's happening at the stage? They do. I mean, I they're. Ex I look. I'm completely biased. I'm the wrong person to ask. I think they're absolutely extraordinary. Mm. I think, and I say that um, graciously, having met so many extraordinary people through my clinical life as sure. a nurse. Um, so many extraordinary people. And the thing about our children is, even during a pandemic and essentially being locked in for 18 months, yeah. they have never once complained. And Archie, I was only saying a few weeks ago, Archie is actually the happiest person I know. Yeah. And that sounds crazy because there are so many things Archie would love to do that he can no longer do. But Archie has real purpose in his life. He's obsessed with farming. He's obsessed with rugby. <laughs> He's obsessed with like knowing what the crack is and what's going on. And just he blows me away. And the other two are like two little professors. Right. It's all about the world and countries and what's happening in Saudi Arabia and do you know what looks what's happening in Syria and they're, they're they're amazing do you know so despite their physical limitations I think um they have they're, they're keeping you going <laughs> they're very happy Seamus yeah. they're very content and I mm. think in a world where we actually have a tsunami of problems and worries about our young people particularly post-pandemic, and so many, so many parents have so many terrible worries about their children, yeah. particularly in relation to their mental health. Um, you know, the fact that our children are so happy, we understand how privileged we are and how lucky we are, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, in, so, in, in some ways. And, and uh, I mean, it's a situation that, you know, uh, you have to live with every day of the week. It's not something that, you know, is there and goes away for the weekend and, 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 and you can come back to it on Monday after a weekend of, of you know, you're living with it all the time. Tell me about, I know that the, the trust, uh, there was uh, lots of fundraising went on and uh, you have a house under construction, but it's a bit frustrating. You're not in it yet. Well, no, we're still not in it. The hope is that the last date we were told was Halloween, um, from what I've learned today, I, d I don't think it's going to be Halloween. The, right. the floors are starting to be put in next week. Right. So there's still some things to finish, but... Um, you're getting we, there. Yeah, and, and I suppose, you know, as you're saying there, that 
whilst it is incredibly frustrating that none of it would be possible without the support, particularly of people of Roscommon and around, uh, um, you know, enormous. Will it make your life easier? It will. If I'm honest, for Porrick and I, we feel very sad about going into the house yes, because I, uh, we uh, had hoped that it wouldn't come to that, I suppose. Uh, um, but for the children, having the additional space will be life changing. It's I can't tell you how life changing that will be for them. So that's that's the gift that people have given them. That's and good. as you know, that we we set up the trust in a way that we didn't want to personally benefit financially. Mm. So the house won't belong to us. The trust will manage it um, for as long as the boys require it. Right. And just a couple of other things, Paula. Um, are you religious? I, I think I am. I believe mm. in God. I believe there was a man called Jesus Christ who walked this earth. I, uh, I definitely believe in miracles. I have seen, I have seen miracles in my work. So oh. many miracles, actually. Um, and I still, I still, still hope, have hope. I still have hope for, you know, and it's not, you see the, the thing about a disease like Duchenne, it's, and for us, the trust was never just about Archie, George and Isaac. That's why we've done all the work with conferences and research and all of that. It, it's about all of those children but that perhaps don't have a voice or, but also if, if the scientists can unlock treatments for Duchenne, because it's so complicated, it will help lots of other diseases and lots of other people. And, and uh, do you think about the future? When I'm very tired and exhausted, I allow my brain to go there and it's not a good look. Yeah, yeah. It really is not a good look. So I try to avoid the future. I try to live in the present as much as possible. I just want to read this out uh, before we finish, uh, Paulette. It's on the Facebook page. Uh, something I read today and it, it, it really stopped me in my tracks. And it's from the 16th of September, just a few weeks ago. And there's a beautiful picture of you looking out towards the sea with your three sons. And you write, for as long as I can remember, I had hoped that one day I would have adventures with my sons. I always just knew I would be surrounded by boys and I am so grateful. I imagined us spending all our holidays touring our favorite mountain resorts throughout Europe and scaling the heights, then traveling down to the lakes or seashore and walking for miles. When the boys were younger and mobile, all those things were possible. Now they're only memories and dreams. Looking at this image makes my eyes sting and my heart feel a little heavier. What I wouldn't do to be able to stand like this with Archie, George and Isaac again looking out to the sea. And the best piece of all, I refuse to give up on this dream. You're, you're, you're so strong, Paula. I don't know, I'm sitting here crying now, but... Yeah, you see, I suppose that the thought is, if Pora can I give up, what do the boys have? Yeah. Who do they have? Because we have a responsibility to them and for them. And look what's happened with COVID. Look how the scientific community rallied. And if only there was the financial will, if governments could pour money into rare diseases like this, we would we it would actually be cost effective not only financially but socially because diseases like Duchenne wreak havoc on families. Mm. They destroy families. Um and yeah, I absolutely refuse to give up hope. 
God bless you, Paula. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for giving me your time. I know it's very precious. Thank you so much, Seamus.